Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Pump Up the Volume Edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm an editorial writer with the journal and the host and editor of the show dedicated to Alberta politics. With me today in the newsroom studio on July 24th, 2014, our provincial affairs reporter, Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. Columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. And provincial affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. Again this week, we had our pick of topics to choose from. This summer might be the newsiest in provincial politics that I can remember in a long time, but maybe I'm forgetting past ones. Anyhow, from this selection of topics, we've decided to discuss the lifting of the blanket publication ban on children who die while in government care. Then we also want to talk about why proposed changes to Alberta's license plates are still causing such angst. And we'll talk about the Wild Rose Party's new justice platform. But let's start with license plates because, well, Graham's column on the subject today is one of the top stories on the journal's website so far. And who knew people were so attached to that darn white Wild Rose country plate? Graham, can you talk to us a little bit about why the license plate debate is still driving the agenda? Uh, (laughs) Probably three reasons. First of all, there's nothing else happening really in politics right now. Yes, there's a leadership race that's going on in NDP and PCs. No one's really paying attention to them. So there's that. Plus, this is an issue people can understand and they're interested in this. This is the water cooler discussion of the month. Um, People are understand what's going on with the license plate. It's not a government policy that they really particularly like. Uh, We're seeing public opinion polls. Some people are talking about it. They don't like what the government's doing. And the third thing is that the government didn't handle this very well. The rollout was not done well at all. Hmm. Didn't really explain themselves. They bring out three choices. People don't like them. Uh, These are choices drawn up by an American-based 3M company. Right. So it wasn't done by Albertans. So there's that sense that this is done from an outsider. Another question is, did they really need to change the license plates? And also, underlining the whole thing is the fact that they're removing the Wild Rose Country slogan. And this is making people think, this is the government that's afraid of the Wild Rose. And it's true. I've talked to people in the government. They're saying they were thinking of changing the license plates anyway. But there was a sense in caucus they didn't like to advertise Wild Rose everywhere. And this is to do with the Wild Rose Party, of course. So this is icing on the cake for them is to get rid of the Wild Rose slogan. But it's backfired. People don't like the changes. Um, they weren't consulted on the changes. And the government has not explained itself very well. And it's opened up the government to be criticized uh, by opposition and the media. And the Wild Rose Party now is doing its own contest um, that will be r- unveiling its uh, answer or winner, I guess, in the middle of August with the government, uh, at the same time the government's doing it. So this has been handled really badly. This, this should have been an, uh, a no-brainer for the government. They've managed to screw it up. How, how do you roll it out better, though, I guess? Well, well, you, could, you could have done, sorry, as, for example, put a slogan that says strong and free, whatever, you know, our official slogan of the, of the province. Um, something else besides what they actually did. Uh, Al- Alberta.com. See, that's how stupid it is. But, uh, but you know, I guess some people need a reference to the website. Well, while, while they're driving? While yeah. They're, yeah, well, yeah, first of all, yeah, nobody should be, nobody should be online while they're driving. Uh, but I, Sarah, I don't think is that people feel such a warm affection towards our license plates. Our license plates are incredibly generic and boring, and they're not particularly good examples of design anyway. But the three goony choices that we've been given are bad, bad, and Batter, and I don't think they're resonating with people, and people really do feel, as Graham says, that it's been, you know, uh, 
you know, sure, you can choose, but you can choose from only the three options that we're giving you. Now there's even some speculation that one of those mountain scenes, those aren't even Alberta mountains. Those are, those are carpet-bagging Montana mountains. That but made it, me sad, because that is the plate I like best, but that would be awful. But, but you know, but the, the, but the point is that they're not mountains from anywhere. They're totally generic mountains, and they're designed to be generic mountains, and that's one of the things that makes them bad design. And there was even more license, I, I was like, we already had the three license plates, and then there were even more license plates this week, Miriam. What, why do we, what's the more license plates? Yes, more license plates. Well, last November, um, sort of to coincide with Remembrance Day, the province announced that they were going to be unveiling new Support Our Troops uh, license plates, military-themed ones. And um, so they, they announced that last year. They talked about that they would be rolling that out, that they would be available early this year. Well, now we're in the middle of the year, and they did a thing they like to do a lot, which is re-announcing an initiative they've already announced. And so uh, at K-Day's this week they unveiled these new these new plates support our troops plates they'll be $75 on top of the regular fee but $55 from each sale will go towards helping the supporter or go towards the support our troops program that's administered by the Canadian forces mm. so it was sort of a um Good news license plate story from the government's perspective I think you could say Do you think that Alberta on the general uh, common license plate, the, the not the specialized one, do you think the province is actually going to end up with one of those three plates that they've got right now? Or do you think that this batch is going to end up in the trash heap along with the uh, effort from a few years ago? Well, yeah, that's interesting. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that the progressive conservative leadership candidates have attach themselves to this issue because it, it, it's obviously very popular. As Graham was saying earlier, it resonates with a lot of people. Each of them has said basically in their own way that they would re-examine the initiative, that they would either look to changing potentially the designs, opening up the design process to local graphic designers and artists to submit um, you know, their own vision for what the license plate could look like. Uh, Rick McIver has said that he thinks that removing the Wild Rose Country slogan is petty and it looks it looks petty and is, in a, ba- is a bad idea. I think the province is also getting a lot of backlash on on the idea of putting Alberta.ca on the website because on the on the license plate because A who doesn't know how to use Google? And if you don't know how to use Google, are you really going to be typing in alberta.ca on a web page anyway when you're looking for information? And and is that even the most useful website for people? I'm not sure. Some have suggested Travel Alberta would be a better oh. a better option. Right. Um, but I suspect that we're going to hear um, more of this from the leadership candidates uh, even after voting is done. Yeah, I was talking to some people in the government who said that this isn't going to be decided by the current premier it's to be put off until the fall until they pick a, a new a new leader so it's going to go on for some time it'll, it'll keep on going but <laughs> i mean we should say there is there i mean there are things that need to happen there is that reflective coding that needs to be put Absolutely. on the license plates to so that uh, right. law enforcement can can more easily read license plates and, and that sort of thing so there are there are sort of issues that need to be addressed with the existing plates and, and the design get, new plates will help get unregistered vehicles off the road etc right, right. Yeah. yeah and i was talking to people in the government as well they were talking about the need to change them physically mm-hmm. but also um i asked them why didn't this go out to a competition and they were saying that one issue was if people were to, to send in 
some ideas that were very popular, they may be very expensive to actually produce. Like those mountainy ones that people, <laughs> uh, we saw that Edmonton well, company a certain, or that Alberta limit, company do? That was pretty. A limitation in terms of colors they can use. So this is limits. Are not, this is their reason. I'm not saying they're right. They're saying the reason it wasn't put out to a competition is because they're trying to save some money. And it said putting it out to competition, if they got some great designs people loved, it may cost too much money to actually produce them. So The problem is with the current options, they're all basically the same the same scene with slightly different styles. Right. Mountainy, as we discussed. Well, let's move from the vehicle's exterior adornments to what happens behind the wheel, specifically after a drink or two, among other things. I want to talk about the policy platform that the Wild Rose Party announced last week. Miriam, can you tell us about those? Give us a broad overview. Sure, yeah. I mean, they really are um, keeping the focus on victims. The sort of tagline for this this policy is putting victims first. So um, it includes things like creating a victim's bill of rights, streamlining certain processes in family courts to ensure that maintenance orders and, and those sorts of things can happen more easily or, or can be um, complied with more easily. They would strike a task force to examine the accessibility of justice across the province, including issues with legal aid. Um, and then there are also some sort of law and order things like increasing the number of check stops across the province, including in rural Alberta. There, They would change some of the drunk driving laws that exist and they would I mean there are some other things too they would um, they would strengthen the mandate of the Alberta Securities Commission to go after more white collar crime and fraudsters and build mechanisms so that people who are victims of fraud would be able to uh, see some of their money returned to them but yeah really a focus on on the people who are the victims of the crime is, is, is the way that they were painting the strategy. So on the drinking and driving rules, lay down some of this, the specifics and uh, and then we can debate the merits of that afterwards. But what do, what are they proposing at changing the rules? Well, back when the province introduced the, the 0. 0.05 drinking and driving law that that allows your, your vehicle to be seized or your license to be suspended um, if you're if you blow over 0. 0.05 blood alcohol content, the Wild Rose came out against that immediately. I, you might remember they had sent out those coasters and and had really raised a lot of a lot of that in in the legislature and so they say that if they form government after the next election they would repeal that law they call it ineffective and they they say it it moves police resources towards people who are at you know the 0.5 level instead of the more serious drunk drivers who may be above the actual legal limit of 0.08. And so in place of that, they would create these five uh, check stop teams across the province made up of sheriffs to more, to, to sort of have a, uh, and they would have a stronger focus on getting drunk drivers off the road. And, and as I say, not just in Calgary and in Edmonton and, and in the other smaller centers in the province, but in also in rural Alberta. So I was actually really happy back when the progressive conservatives introduced these new laws because I th- thought they made it perfectly clear that if you're having more than one drink, you you have to not drive. So I, I really felt, uh, I didn't know how I felt about this when I heard this new pol- this policy from the Wild Rose. I, what do you guys think about it? I'm, I'm still trying to sort it out myself, but good good call or bad call? I have... A very split mind about this. I am a mother against drunk driving, not a member of MAD, but you know, as the mother of a teenager, I worry about impaired driving all the time. And I, you know, I am of an age, I am older than you and Miriam, when impaired driving was considered socially normative. People used to drink and drive all the time. And I think it's wonderful and remarkable the change that's happened in our culture in the last 20 years around this. So I'm all in favor of people not drinking and driving. 
On the other hand, I've always been uncomfortable with the Redford government's encroachment onto federal jurisdiction in this area. Impaired driving is governed by the Criminal Code of Canada, and the rules about what makes you criminally impaired are federal ambit. This legislation trespasses, to my mind, on the constitutional right of the federal government to establish what is criminal law, and it creates a quasi-criminal penalty for driving when you're not legally technically impaired. I am all in favor of lobbying the federal government to change the definition of impaired driving in the criminal code. I don't like the idea of the provinces flexing into what is federal jurisdiction and creating things that are not quite criminal offenses, nor am I terribly in favor of the idea that you're arresting a car. Um, You know, if somebody breaks the law and they drink impaired, they should be arrested and they should have the full force of the federal law thrown at them. And as I say, maybe it's time for a national debate about changing the federal definition of what is impaired. But I do not think it is the role of the province to trespass into federal jurisdiction in this way. So you sound like you'd be okay with it if they repealed it. If well, yeah. yeah, whether I think it's good politics for them is an entirely separate question. I think they're mad to 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 go near it because I think that you represent uh, you know a lot of people who are going to be really distressed that the that the Wild Rose is considering doing this. I think there's some things that even though you may think they're a bad idea, you shouldn't go m- you know, don't touch that rail. Yeah. Th- this goes back to the <coughs> excuse me, the the nanny state um, critique of Alison Redford that she was getting involved in people's lives too much and uh, at the time uh, Miriam's right the Wild Rose was just pushing back against her but I think that people thought that this played well in the urban areas um, the, the, the cracking down on drinking driving didn't play so so well in the rural areas where the Wild Rose is based so this goes back to this um, libertarian um, notion of the Wild Rose saying less government is better and I think that this is uh, where, where it comes from. There's, there's pushing back, saying Redford was wrong to do this. This is not a slap at Redford. This is them attacking once again Redford's legacy. And I'm with uh, Paul on this. I'm really torn. I, I think um, I'm against drunk driving, but I think that the province has gone too far in this area. But also I think the Wild Rose does tend to get simplistic when it comes to this getting tough on criminals and law and order. It's very much this Harperite um, <laughs> idea of it's popular with a certain number of people in the province, if you say you're getting tough on criminals and a victim's bill of rights. Yes, I, I really didn't like when they said, you know, they're going to put victims first. I'm sorry, you know what's first in the justice system? Is justice. Right. Not always, it's not always about the victim. And the, the legal system is not about retribution and revenge. It's about justice. Hmm. Well, I like that they've put out some, some platforms and some policies, and I, I like seeing you know people being upfront about what they would do if elected so i guess we have to all weigh on our in our personal minds what we like and what we don't like we need to transition from policy platforms to real changes in government uh because there was a policy enacted today that i know we want to talk about um the journal and the calgary herald through legislature reporters karen cleese and darcy henton have devoted tremendous resources to the incredibly important issue of what happens to children in government care very specifically, uh, the question of what happens when a child dies in government care. Uh, For years, Alberta's lived under this blanket publication ban that prohibited anybody from publicly naming or publishing a photo of the hundreds of children who had died in provincial care. Today is a big day. Paula, explain to us why. Well, you may recall, Sarah, after our fatal care series, um, Manmeet Bular, who was the new Minister of Children's Services, appointed in the wake of that shakeup, 
announced uh, and introduced legislation that would in some ways lift the publication ban on identifying children who had died while receiving uh, services from, from the province. Uh, today, that law comes into effect. It has now been proclaimed through ordering council. And this means that for the first time in a very long time, uh, we can tell you the names and show you the faces of children who have died in government care, including children who died before this ban came into effect. Uh, so the ban had been retroactive so that we couldn't name kids who had died 20 years ago. They were still covered by the ban. So as of today, uh, this draconian anti-constitutional ban is no longer the law in Alberta. Now, that said, and it is a great, tremendous moral victory, not just for Karen and Darcy, but for every person in this province, uh, there are still some significant failings in the government's legislation. Uh, the government can still seek an ex parte uh, publication ban. Uh, they can go secretly to a judge without notice to the media or to the family uh, and get a publication ban. Uh, the family has no right to appeal those bans, and bans can also be granted to third parties like uh, a foster care agency or a First Nation. The other problem is that we know, that because Manmut Bullard told us in January, that between 1999 and September 2013, 741 children and youth died in this province who had come to the attention of Children's Services. 741, not the 50 or so that were, we were initially told. Of those 741, uh, Karen and Darcy and I have only been able to determine about 10% of their names. So there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children who technically we are now allowed to name them, but since we don't know who they are or how they died, uh, that's a, it's, it's not as grand a victory as one might have hoped. But one does hope that going forward, it means that we will be able to hold the government to much greater scrutiny and accountability. Why do you think they decided to go ahead and enact these changes? One of the problems, as we've talked about before with the leadership debate going on, is that a lot of things seem to come to a standstill in government. They're, they don't make big decisions on big issues or they leave things as they are and, and are waiting for the new leader in September before they take big action. Why did they act on this? I think it's because it was the right thing to do. This is a government had had the public hearings about it, said this we're going to change the law. We will change the law, and now they're going to follow through. There was there's no leadership candidates saying they shouldn't they wouldn't be doing this. This is not like building schools, you know, or changing the tax structure or whatever. This is an issue that people thought we've got to change the law, and they they now have done it. But you know, I don't know that it's quite that simple because this legislation was was rushed through for for the very reasons that Graham says politically, and then they weren't going to proclaim it. They were going to wait until they'd had um, all party discussions because of some of the very reasons that I mentioned, some of the flaws in the existing law, and they had told the other parties that they would have a chance to have you know a public consultation and discussion about this. And instead, it was quite a surprise when they proclaimed it this week. It, it hadn't been something that our colleagues at the legislature, that Karen Cleese has followed this file so closely, had been anticipating would happen this week. So it's a very interesting question why they decided to go ahead and, and do it this week. Uh, it may be also because in the time since they brought in the law, there have been, I believe, two other deaths of children in care, and they've been caught up in this weird situation where we, we keep saying in our reports, you know, despite the fact that the government brought in this law, we still can't name them. 
So, I mean, they may just have felt that the public relations consequences, you know, when, you know, if, if a child died this next Tuesday and we still couldn't name them, might have just been too much to put up with. What do you think, what happens next on this on this file then? Is there still committee hearings to yeah. be had on it then? Yeah, there's still committee hearings. I believe um, the regulations still need to be sort of hashed out. And there's, so there are going to be um, discussions at the all-party um, legislative committee for, it's a standing committee of, of families for families and communities and so that's continuing but today in in, in his statement Manmi Buller um, the human services minister said that despite that ongoing discussion over over the those regulations he wanted to see the law enacted so that people could begin to make their own choices about how uh, how children who die in care or who were known to child welfare services um, are identified. Okay. Well, thanks for that update. We're still, I think, digesting this news today, so there, there could be definitely more to talk about in the weeks ahead on this. Let's move to good stuff from the gallery. This is our weekly segment where we suggest something that we think is worth recommending to other people to listen to, watch, read. Usually has a political connection. Not always, but most of the time, it's, we're pretty good. We have another reader suggestion that I want to in, uh, include. This is from Keith De Silva, and he has suggested a, a good stuff before. He had something that he thought would really appeal to you, Graham. And it is from a blog called Econospeak, Annals of the Economically Incorrect. And he suggested a post or a, a series of posts, it looks like, called uh, The Road from Carbonville. And it's a new series on the misconceptions surrounding climate policy and how to avoid them. So there's lots in there to pick through. So I appreciate Keith sending that recommendation. I know Graham is writing down the web page as I speak. And uh, it's Econospeak, Graham. Econospeak. Okay, thanks. Graham, do you want to go next? <clears throat> speaking, okay, speaking of the environment. Um, my Goodreads from Harper's Magazine is July, the edition this current month, Harper's Magazine. And it's uh, called Promises, Promises, Can Obama Redeem His Environmental Failures? And it's about uh, how Barack Obama, of course, has been talking big about the environment, but he hasn't really been following up. And the question is, how can he redeem himself? Can he? I won't give away the the punchline. It basically relies, though, on public pressure Ah. on this, that um, presidents, leaders, (coughs) excuse me, will actually do the right thing if they got enough, enough pressure to feel that the, the public is, is moving in a certain direction. So it's not really leadership. It's more like following the parade, as Klein used to say. But, um, yeah, so he can redeem himself, but it needs a lot of public pressure to actually uh, make sure he, act- he does so. But it's Harper's Magazine, July edition, Promises, Promises. Okay, well, I'm glad you read that one. Thanks, and thanks for suggesting it. I want to throw one out there. It's a quick one. It will not take much of your time. I want to recommend a post from the Ottawa Citizen. that They have a blog post about Tony Clement and his... Uh, constant selfies or his regular selfies apparently and they just did a really kind of light and bright post about how he's pretty active on Twitter but his they say his real gold is his Instagram account and uh, he's posted 113 pictures that have been selfies although I think some of them <laughs> when I looked at them Someone else is clearly need 113. Someone else is clearly taking the picture. Pictures, selfies, Paula. Someone else is taking the picture of him, so I'm not sure. That's not a selfie, then. Well, I know. Well, this is part of the debate. Phony phony selfie. They're they're pretty (laughs) funny. Anyways, I'll put up the link to that Ottawa Citizen blog post, and it's called uh, "What in the World Is Going On with Tony Clement and His Selfies?" Yikes, (laughs) Miriam, you got a yikes for us? I've got a much more sobering. um, oh, it's summer. Come few on. Options. Oh, okay. Um, no, go. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a couple of p- 
he says uh, both are sort of relate, related to the uh, ongoing conflict in Gaza and Israel. The first one is um, a piece that was published in the New York Times website today, open, uh, I believe today, yeah, open source, uh, Robert Mackey's column. Um, and he wrote today on foreign course, it's called foreign correspondence in Israel complain of intimidation and just talking about the sort of pressures that um, reporters are facing both within Israel as they report and obviously within Gaza as, um, as the, the tiny enclave is bombarded. Um, there have been already um, victims. Uh, there was a photographer who was killed and then there are some some other injuries as well, plus uh, reporters who have been attacked while reporting um, within Israel itself. Um, and then the second one I wanted to recommend is a, and both of these are sort of shorter reads. Um, the second one I wanted to recommend is, you know, I, I, it's been a couple minutes, well, it's been a couple hours since I looked at the latest death tolls, but by the time this airs tomorrow, this, the, the death toll in Gaza will have surpassed 800 people, the majority of whom are civilians. So there was um, an interesting piece on the Vanity Fair website written by Anna Lacasse Miller, and she uh, wrote a, a piece called Let's Name the Victims on Both Sides of the Israel-Palestine Clashes and um, sort of just looked at the way um, sort of the media landscape and, and discourse around this um, subject is changing and, and also uh, the importance of, of putting names to, to the victims, humanizing them in that way. Uh, and so I thought that was a really important and poignant read. So both of those, I think, are pretty, pretty short and, and I highly recommend both. Thanks, Miriam. Those sound good. Paula, you've got something as well? I do. I have a juicy summer read of a much lighter nature. Sarah will know that uh, the Edmonton Journal hosted a big book swap last weekend, uh, captained by Michael Hingston, our books writer, who's an award-winning novelist in his own right. And I picked up at the book swap Christopher Buckley's Boomsday, which is not a new book. It's from 2007, but it was new to me. Christopher Buckley is the son of William F. Buckley. He's probably best known for his political satire, Thank You for Smoking, which is about the marketing of cigarettes. I love that. Boomsday is a very funny uh, dystopian uh well, I don't want to say science fiction, speculative fiction. It's set slightly in the future in a world in which the baby boomers have all started to retire and that there's an uprising of people who are younger than baby boomers who start storming their gated communities and their golf courses and demanding that boomers commit suicide voluntarily at 70 or 75 in order to save Social Security from crashing. Mm -hmm. uh, it is dark. Oh. It is very funny. It makes fun of... Everybody in every part of the Washington, D.C. political spectrum, left, right, and center, public and private sectors, uh, and, you know, it's about parents and children and the duty we owe to the generations that come after us. It's a very funny book, but like all great political satire, makes a very important point and a nice, light, fun summer read. Did you say that there's something about the press gallery in there? Yes, and in, in this future world, um, there are so many reporters who've been sent to jail for contempt of court and, you know, failing to name their sources that they've started a gang in the prison called the Press Gang. <gasps> press Gang. Okay, well, that'll be our prison name if we all, when we all end up in jail <laughs> for, for contempt. contempt. Oh, please, may that never happen. On that happy note, that's it for this week. 
If you like what you hear, you can check out video segments of the Press Gallery on edmontonjournal.com. Just forgive my really bad hair this week. I promise I'm headed to my stylist this afternoon. But my hair always looks fabulous when you listen to the show on iTunes. You can subscribe there, which means it loads directly into your podcast player when it's uploaded every Friday right away. And you can also find us on SoundCloud and in the opinion section of the journal's website, which is edmontonjournal.com slash opinion. I'm going to get that on my license plate. You can find us on Facebook.com slash the press gallery as well. And that's where you, like listener Keith De Silva, can suggest a good stuff from the gallery or make a comment. We will be back next week in the press gallery. Thanks for listening. <laughs>